Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Lauren, Yo! Jen, Hello. and Ben. Hi. So in today's episode, we'll be covering a whole range of topics, including quantum teleportation, how you can use plasma to make your flights on an airplane smoother, and really getting into the heart of what is teleportation. We're going to kick off with our Launchpad News section. Who here likes taking a flight on an aeroplane? Me, me. Well, like it's going up and the coming down part, but the bit in the middle is pretty boring. Oh, that's that's true. That's what most people say. So I like the turbulence part, that's fun. Well, the turbulence is actually one of the big things on flight. So one of the interesting parts about flight is uh, the design and the efficiency of a wing. Because wings are what make a plane a plane and not a big tube of metal. That's up in the sky ready to fall and kill you. Correct. So there's a whole big area of engineering research around how to make wings better. Now, would you believe that one of the best ways to make wings better is to actually get liquid hot gas or metal that's in a plasma state, which is a combination of gas and liquid, and shoot it out over the wings. Not really, because the wings is where the fuel is kept. That sounds incredibly wouldn't dangerous. You, wouldn't you just end up with a giant explosion in the sky? I mean, yeah. it's cool, it looked like a firework, but I don't think that's good. Yeah. The word fireball comes to mind. In fact. Fireball. <laughs> flaming through the sky. Well, that's true, and ideally your plane isn't actually a fireball. Um, that's a rocket we're thinking of there. <laughs> but what we're, what we're looking at here is actually using really thin streams of plasma in a, in a sheet. Like, you know how you have those mist sprays near air cons, like sometimes on hot days? Mm-hmm. To effectively do the same thing on the top of the wing. So it wouldn't actually touch the wing surface. The purpose of this is to smooth the flow of the air across the wing. Wings work by having a section by cutting the air and creating an area of high pressure and low pressure on either sides of the wing to create lift, to lift the plane up. The problem is that on the top, because they have to run a longer distance, they spin around more and the airflow becomes turbulent. And when that happens too much, it can actually cause inefficiency and and drag, which means the plane slows down and doesn't lift as much. So Justin, how would this change that? Does right. that change the airflow? Yeah, so what it does, by injecting the plasma, it actually smooths out the airflow. The plasma superheats the air, the air behaves in a much more smoother fashion, and it flows more continuously because it's, it basically joins in this stream of hot plasma. And so instead of being like a, make, like a bit of water making its own creek, it's already a big river for that water to flow into. Mm-hmm. So the air is kind of like tamed and forced to flow this nice, really cool, smooth path. I can understand that. The best part about this would mean that you would have the wings of the plane glowing as it flies, which would look phenomenal at night. So yes, that would look really you, pretty from the ground. You wouldn't be able to see it from the ground because it would be on the top surface of the wing. So okay. hopefully the plane isn't flying upside down. <laughs> but um, you would be able to see the glow that it would create. And, it, and from the windows, man, it would look phenomenal. So yeah, usually then, when you've got a window seat near the um, plane wing, you're just like, no, it's blocking out on my view. Now it becomes the view? Yes, that's right. So this is an application of you know, high temperature physics and cool structural physics and to use with engineering to make all kinds of new technologies. That's the next story that we're going to launch into now, looking at quantum entanglement. So quantum entanglement, Ben. Well, quantum entanglement, as Albert Einstein first said, was where two particles in different locations, even on the other side of the universe, can influence each other. This is 
particularly interesting for physicists out there for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, it's particularly tricky to do. Um, you basically have to physically entangle two particles, uh, electrons, protons, neutrons, something that small. However, they have theorized that they could do it with um, even possibly small, small diamonds, perhaps. Um, but if the two particles become entangled, if you were to perform one action on one of them, the other particle would have the same action performed on it. So if you imagine, like, I have a quantum tweezer and I nudged one, um, then the other particle, you know, possibly on the other side of the world would move as if I had moved it as well. That's, that's amazing because what you're doing there is what I believe Einstein called spooky action at a distance. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. And that, that's really cool because if you have two things, then you can use that to transmit in information instantaneously. I believe that actually goes faster than the speed of light, if that's right. Um, nothing should go faster than the speed of light, but yes, it, it's incredibly fast and it happens at this incredible quantum level, which also means it's secure. It's 100% secure because there is no way to intercept that information. Unless you're a ghost. I, I don't know the More. quantum mechanics of ghosts. <laughs> Maybe and ghosts are using this. this. This is actually how ghosts communicate? Is this it's, what happens that's, now? That's, could that's be. how quantum ghosts communicate. <laughs> so what, what I imagine would be, as you alluded to there, Ben, the really good part about this would be for cryptography. Because now yeah. you don't have to... In cryptography and sending secret messages, you've got two problems. Can people read the message that you have and can they get their hands on it? In this one, whilst they might be able to read it, they can't ever get their hands on it. Yes. Um, another interesting thing would be instantaneous data transfer. As long as you can break it down to a level where you could ones and zeros against that um, atomic particle, you could then transfer that to anywhere else in the world for that to be broken down. And if we ever got to uh, a level of spacefaring technology, you could do that through transferring information from one planet to another. The only problem with that that I imagine is that you still need to get that entangled quantum, um, quantum yes. entangled thing to that location. Yes, I believe the, the furthest they've gotten them so far to be separate and still entangled is about three kilometers. Um, when I last checked, which was an experiment done in China uh, in November, I believe. Hmm. Um, but they got it three kilometers and were able to transfer, uh, well, pick up information so, from um, one to the other. How far have we actually, or how difficult is it to actually quantum entangle something? Um, pretty pretty difficult. It, it's not an easy process. Uh, I suppose a lot of things involving quantum mechanics wouldn't be considered easy processes. Um, but they, you basically have to get the particles in a position where you can have them physically interacting with each other, um, which you can imagine trying to wrangle two atomic particles together to have this cosmic little jig before pulling them apart and separating them would not be easy. Yep, yep. So it, it's still a, a very difficult concept, but if we can do it, it would be amazing for uh, communication, space travel, and who knows what. Yeah, the, the limitations are just, yeah, it's amazing what you can do with the possibilities. So that, that's a great application of uh, complicated physics and mm. uh, sub subatomic physics. And so now we're going to look at another interesting application of subatomic physics. So, Lauren, do you like music? Who doesn't like music? 
What's your favorite instrument? Is it the drums? Oh, you know me, I'm just like, I've got to bust out some awesome beats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway! <laughs> Why do you hate me? <laughs> anyway, what about micro drums? The micro drum? What, what makes a drum micro like that? Well, it would. Have something that would be sized with 10 to the negative 6. Systems International jokes. I've got them over here all week, guys. I'll just keep doing them. Okay. It's like okay, well, asking so well, what's nano. Some, something nano is something that's 10 to the negative 9. So, Jen, what, what, what are you... <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin, no. It's, it's not an actual joke. It's a statement. <laughs> so, Jen, what can these micro drums be used for? Well, they can be used to store... Uh, they could be used as a memory device but for a quantum memory. So instead of like having, because most hard drives we have now are discs, aren't they? That they spin really fast and we read off them with magnets. Yeah, we also have yeah. solid state drives as well. That's right. What, what most USBs are. Yep, that's right. But this would be using um, micro drums to store information from a quantum computer. But how, how can you use a drum to store information like that? Oh, that's really cool. This way this micro drum would work is it actually involves microwaves and the drum itself by moving and interacting with the microwaves in vertical Wait, and horizontal. Microwave signals or microwaves as in I heat up my food in the Microwave signals. Mm-hmm. So not the actual physical microwaves because That's that, a... they're at least a, a couple of orders of magnitude bigger than this micro drum. Um... <laughs> That's an important distinction to make. If you could could store a microwave to make a micro drum. Yeah, so guys, microwaves aren't actually microwaves, like the object aren't actually micro, but the waves they produce are. Important distinction. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the the drum effectively produces uh, interaction with the signal in in horizontal and vertical fashions, and the way in which it interacts with that, storing that information, is actually how it's storing the memory. So it's read via microwaves, but the coding and the movement of the drum is actually how you store the information. So if it's like you send out a pulse of the microwave and the drum responds with it, and that's how you get interact with the memory coded into it. So you, you code the memory in by positioning it, adjusting the characteristics of the drum, and then you get it out by shooting the right type of microwave at it to extract out the information. Because then the microwave will go to the drum and it will come off in a certain type of frequency or response. So, so if I wanted to save information onto this drum, I would hit it with a microwave of a certain frequency, or...? Yeah, that's right. And Just with any frequency, and you just observe the information that comes out from it. You have to... Ad- okay. I think you have to adjust the micro- the drum itself's characteristics, positions, once, and then you actually... You encode it by positioning or adjusting the properties of the drum, so like the pitch or whatever, if you think about it that way, mm-hmm. um, and then you read information out of it. It's a bit like you could store information if you had, like, a whole bunch of drums of different sounds and pitches. So you might have one drum that's really low, one drum that's really high. And if you then played the low if you then played the low drum, that could be equivalent to a zero. And if you played the high drum, that's equivalent to one. They're doing this kind of like sending the the drum messages like drum messages across Africa, like the whole Yeah. But if imagine (laughs) this was being done on really small cells, so each individual cell is actually producing their own signal. Um, and so if you bombarded a microwave at this little platform, because it's so small, you're actually getting out lots of different responses at once. So it's really dense coding of information that doesn't actually require a physical media to read and interact with it. It's really interesting. Yeah. 
So using the spooky action at a distance and quantum entanglement, we'd be able to send particles uh, all the, from one distance all the way to the other. And so the pose of the question, would that be quantum teleportation? Could you then use that to transmit yourself a very long distance? This would have, though, all your neurons and all your body perfectly replicated in another location. The question is, though, would that really be you? If they have all your neurons, then they should have your memories, yeah? Yeah. Because that's how we understand brain storage to work. The the neurons themselves are actually encoded in with the memory of something. So they should have your memories if you do it right. <laughs> yes, that's an if. Whether or not they are you <laughs> is a very, very interesting question. Yeah, well, it gets into the ethics of the question. Well, that's and that's a really good point. So would you define, if you had a clone, so if you have seen, for instance, the movie Prestige, not to spoil it for anyone here, but... I suggest that this discussion may venture into that territory shortly. So spoiler alert for a movie that's been out for like eight years. Um, in the movie Prestige, they have effectively the same issue. They have a magic trick which involves a machine which clones people. Okay, But you never know. The whole premise around it is that each time he steps into the machine, he never knows if he's going to be the one who is effectively destroyed by the teleportation process or survives. Um. Or when he goes into it, he never knows that. And it's a really interesting question. Ultimately, then the person who's there is the person who survived everything. Because if it's guaranteed to kill you, right, then he's the one that survived it. The per- if you asked him, he's the one who's been through all those four, like those toying cost op- opportunities, right? And he's the one that's had their heads, heads, head path all the way through. But it does mean that everyone else, like even up to the point before him, there was someone who survived all those ones and then and then got destroyed. So then it comes into is that murder? If you're actually just killing these copies. Um, then that might be considered murder. You're killing, effectively, a new person each time. Alternatively, if you don't do that, then effectively what you're doing is creating infinite clones of yourself every time you teleport. Infinite gens. What happens... Yeah, what happens if something goes wrong in the teleportation? Like... Is but that, like, are you gonna, not all of you gets to the other side? Yeah, are you going to turn up with, like, twice. half of your eyebrow yeah. gone, one of your limbs gone? I mean... If a fly flies into the machine, do you become half fly and half person? Well, that's really interesting. That that references the movie The Fly. Yeah, good movie. Uh, Very good movie. And in that, that's a bit different because it's actually using DNA. So Mm. the process, the way that the cloning machine is working is using the DNA of it. So if you're starting to merge the DNA as opposed to the pure subatomic particles positions, then that's where it gets more messy. In terms of um, the question that Lauren was asking, Imagine if you had just a few subatomic particles missing, then you stop being you 100%. Now, you'd only have to get a small number of those to be wrong. And then just, suddenly. Just 0.0001. But because there's so many that you're sending, even if you had an error rate of 0.0001, that's still like a million plus atoms that will be wrong. Which could be, you know, it may be like a couple of cells, but it could be a couple of cells in your in your heart, which would be not that <laughs> not good. <laughs> or there might be cells in your in your brain which have to do with neurons and memories, which then could change everything. So you're right. Unless you can do it 100%, that's really quite risky in terms of whether or not you would be there as 100% you. Yeah, Before we even get into the philosophy. For uh, teleporting this way. But it does sound like a good way to maybe send food or um, like books or Objects. CDs or something. So objects were all good for teleporting. We've yes. agreed that yes. sending non-sentient yes. human beings teleport away. Sending yep. human beings uh, gets much more issues, complicating it around like 
cloning and murder. And also infinite gems. Because then infinite it really gems. would be G, 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 Lacey, Lacey. There would be infinite G's. Yeah, infinite G's. G, 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 the teleportation, and we won't be we won't be beaming up ourselves up, Scotty, anytime soon. No. All right, so that 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 covers a whole bunch of quantum things for today's episode. We've looked at quantum entanglement. We've looked at uh, the way of sending messages with drums, um, quantum micro drums with microwaves. We've also talked about uh, particle physics and jet winds that uh, help use plasma to make supersonic flight even easier and look cool. So that's been today's episode of Lagrange Point. We've had Justin, Ben, Lauren, and Jen with us today. See you guys. Bye. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Today we've talked about how to make your jets fly super fast using quantum physics, how to use quantum entanglement to encode secret messages or even store messages with drums, and the real effects of teleporting. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.